0: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing with your hosts, Luke and Ewan. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing. I'm your host, Luke Carney, and as always... I will be joined by my co-host, Mr. Ewan Breeze. And before we get underway with today's episode, I would just like to let our listeners know that you can check us out across social media. And we're on Twitter, at Simbox. We're on Instagram, at Sim underscore Box. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Simbox Boxing. We provide daily updates, breaking news, and debate all things boxing. Welcome to this week's podcast, another big fight week. Of course, it's Daniel Dubois versus Joe Joyce this week. The huge heavyweight clash, European, Commonwealth, British heavyweight titles all on the line. The biggest all-British title fight at heavyweight that I can remember for a long, long time. Really excited to get this fight on after it being delayed due to the current pandemic. Originally, it was scheduled back in March. Then we had it rescheduled for July, and such is the current state of the world that it was spawned time and time again. Fingers crossed. It takes place this Saturday, November the 28th. It's a huge fight. It's split opinion within some box, within the boxing fraternity. Everyone's got an opinion on this fight. I'm joined, of course, by Ewan Breeze, very opinionated himself and very opinionated on this fight. Ewan, how are you doing?
1: Uh, I absolutely am. I absolutely am. First, what a time to be a boxing fan and to be involved in reporting and talking about boxing. This has got to be the strongest end to a year we've ever had. And it starts with a bang with the big boys with the heavyweights this Saturday night.
0: Absolutely. And before we get into the thick of it with the main event on Saturday, which is the, going to be the core of this episode, I'd just like to look back on last week's matching card, which in itself was, you know, a reasonably entertaining card. You know, uh it was it was headlined by Ben and Sebastian Formella. You know, and I'd just like to make a quick mention that on last week's preview we actually missed out the main event, which was my fault, given that we, we spent so much time previewing everything else. But what a fight you and what a performance from Conor Ben, you know, a really coming of age performance a lot of people thought this was going to be a potential banana skin against Sebastian Formella who had only had one previous defeat I'm not sure if you heard during the broadcast but that was to Sean Porter over 12 rounds I'm not sure how many times that got mentioned Uh, but yeah a real great performance for Conor Ben. a real coming of age victory in the way he performed the way he handled the pressure being the headline uh, fight I I was very impressed yeah, it was it was
1: horrendously repetitive from the sky commentary, wasn't it, that he'd lost to Sean Porter, but somebody who was not repetitive or boring on the mic was Connor Penn. As much as he impressed in the ring, he had a lightning jab, you know, he wasn't just a brawler, he was an educated boxer and he won it with his boxing IQ, but then he used his IQ on the mic afterwards, and the first name out of his mouth was Josh Kelly. What do I always say on this podcast? Put somebody's name out of your mouth. The first thing should be, I want this guy, bring him to me. I want this fight next. And that's exactly what Conor Ben did on Saturday night. I have a feeling it was the birth of a superstar in Conor Ben because the first name on his lips were Josh Kelly. And now I pick him against Josh Kelly. I think that that attitude is the right attitude. It's a fighter's attitude. It's the same attitude his dad had in the 80s and the 90s. And he's bringing it to the ring now. I am infinitely impressed in and out of the ring with Conor Ben.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. And I think there's, you know, there's little bits of that to, to, to pick the bones off there. You know, first off, in in my humble opinion, for what it's worth, I think you know the Sebastian Formella that steps into the ring with Conor Ben, uh, had he not had that fight with Sean Porter, had he just come over as a a somewhat unknown quantity uh, at twenty one and oh or twenty two and oh or whatever his record might have been without that Sean Porter fight on there, I think the the the, the approach uh, from everybody on social media um, or the, the the ringside analysis, the commentators and everybody else, I think we would have looked at this and said this Sebastian Formella clearly has a Padded record, but as you mentioned, he the kept alluding to the the Sean Porter uh, performance. He lost every round against Sean Porter, and he damn near lost every round against Conor Ben. You know, but we're not clamoring for a Conor Ben versus Sean Porter fight, and that just goes to show you that, Sebastian Formella, in with all due respect, is not a a, a, a standard bearer for the welterweight division. You know, and and that's what I think we need to be careful of because it was so repetitive. It was rammed down our throats, and it didn't really matter because it was a a rebound fight. For for Sean Porter after the Errol Spence fight, and it it was a coming of age fight for Conor Ben. They, both fighters are at different aspects of their career, and I think we found out more, or just as much about Formella as we did about Conor Ben. Uh, I don't think we'll see Formella up and around the the top echelons of, of 147 pounds again, uh, with all due respect. But Conor Ben, you know, he has that pressure of the the Ben name, given that his, his dad was such a uh, you know a national hero, a, a British boxing hero. Um, an icon, and you know he's still so fondly remembered. So he so much pressure for Conor Ben to live up to, as he mentioned in that that what I think will become iconic post-fight interview about, you know, he doesn't have to do this. He he alluded to the the Marvin Hagler, uh, brilliant quote of, you know, it's, it's hard to get up and go jogging when you're wearing silk pajamas and stuff like that. He doesn't have to do this, but he chooses to do this, and I think that adds its own pressure in its own right that he's he's got nothing to prove to anyone but himself at the end of the day, and I think that's the, the greatest pressure that anyone can be under. And 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 he seems to thrive in there. You know, he he works incredibly hard. He's always in incredible shape. He's he's a very confident young man. He's very entertaining. And I think that the fight with Josh Kelly is going to be a superb fight. And I think we've got the making of a of a dare I say a pay per view superstar in Conor Ben if he continues to improve at the rate he is. Exactly, a man with no amateur pedigree to
1: then go and use his jab and his footwork against somebody who, you know, admittedly was a big step up, even his detractors admitted that that Formello was a step up, to use your jab and your footwork. The things that we associate with more seasoned professionals, for somebody brand new into the boxing game, he's improving at a rate of knots. And if he keeps at it, we have a superstar on our hands. I've no doubt about that.
0: Is Conor Ben for you, Ewan, the most improved British boxer uh, in, in recent memory in terms of you know maybe the past 12 months. Because certainly for me, what I've seen on Saturday was totally different from what I've seen from him before. He's one of my favourite fighters to watch because of his all-action brawl style that, that you know, let's bring the heat, uh, let's swarm our opponents. It's, you know, kill or be killed kind of mentality. But on Saturday, it was so different. It was so good to watch from a boxing purist point of view. And, you know, he, he, he's shown so many different uh, parts of his repertoire. You know, if one... Detrimental thing to say would be that you know he threw everything at Formella and didn't get him out of there. But I think that's a testament more to Formella's toughness than anything else. But overall, you and Izzy the most improved boxer in, in Britain currently.
1: I think that there is a, a certain big old 22 year old heavyweight who is the only other contender for that honour. But yes, Conor Ben is massively improved. He is without a doubt the top two. And I'm sure we'll get to the big man later on and talk about how much he's improved.
0: I'm sure we will. So just to finish up on Conor Ben, we've mentioned the Josh Kelly fight, which is a potential summer in its own right. But there's a couple of other names around that division. You know, the Chris Jenkins fight for the British title was one that I was really, really excited to see. Uh, there's the Chris, Chris Congo fight. You know, there seems to be a little bit of animosity there. And of course... Uh, Florian Marku, he's making a lot of noise himself on social media, he's calling for that big fight there's rumours that he's linking up in some capacity to with Matchroom, you know, in a couple of years or certainly more fights for Marku, you know, I think he's 7-0 and 8-0, oh, oh, something like that, you know, Conor kind of Ben I wouldn't say he's surpassing these guys in terms of skill and, and competitive fights but when you look at his record and you look what he's achieved so far and, and what he's in touch and distance with, I think he's got a ranking with the WBA for what that's worth, I think he's not surpassed British level but He's certainly looking at bigger fights. And I think, you know, Chris Jenkins and maybe uh, Josh Keller is is about as much as we're going to see have, have kind of Conor Ben at British level. Certainly, if he picks up those wins, you know, if he was to take a loss, then he's going to rebuild. But certainly, if he picks up wins against Josh Kelly and against Chris Jenkins, which he's very much capable of doing, he will surpass the likes of, you know, with all due respect, uh, Chris Congo or, or Florian Marku or, or fighters of that ilk at this current time. That's the beauty of it, though, is there's there's about five
1: names that are all around the same level. I picked them all. I think they're all about the same level. You know, granted, Ben is very much improved and I like him, but is he exponentially better than Chris Congo? I don't, I don't know. I, I think we'll only answer that in the ring. But Congo, Marku, Ben, Kelly, they're all in and around, even Chris Jenkins, who's coming towards the end of his career, they're all in and around the same level, like that British level, British-level uh, welterweight division is on fire and Conor Bent is the leading light of that and he's the biggest star and he, he's going to be the one calling the shots. He's going to be the one that chooses who he fights and I just can't wait for the future with him.
0: Yeah, we certainly look forward to that with great excitement. Now, let's move on uh, further down that card. Somebody I'm sure you were very impressed with. You've been impressed with him throughout his young, fledgling career. Uh, heavyweight Fabio Wardler. He knocked out Richard Larte in two rounds. Couple of things I want to touch on here, Ewan. Uh, firstly, like I say, you're a big fan, but looking at Richard Latte, he comes over with, you know, he has this. I'm not too sure if we say mystique or this kind of character uh, where people have looked back at the the two performances that he's had against two other young heavyweights. Firstly, he goes into a back and forth, a back and forth with Daniel Dubois. Uh, something that I'm going to touch on later on in the pod. And he has a real barnstormer there. I think he was good for half the third round before getting knocked out in the fourth. And then he comes back. And he comes back as the comeback opponent for Nathan Gorman after a few months out of the ring. Maybe a year, I think, out of the ring or so for, for Nathan Gorman. And Nathan Gorman scores him over 10 rounds and Latte looks like he's, you know, he's, he's a totally different fighter from the one that, that went to war with with Daniel Dubois. Here... You know, I don't really know what was expecting. And I, I said this on, on my social media, that Fabio Wardley, for me, was was a clear favourite, a heavy favourite. And those people that was picking Larty to win on, on the back of the Dubois fight, I think that was a, a complete one-off. I'm not sh- too sure about yourself, Ewan. I didn't think
1: Larty was going to win. I've been banging on about Fabio Wardley for ages now, and he proved me right again, because... Daniel Dubois did get rocked to his boots by Richard Larty. Yes, it was probably because he was getting gung-ho and trying to get him out of there, but he did get clipped. You know, Nathan Gorman boxed his head off. Yeah, absolutely he did, but he couldn't get him out of there. Fabio Wardley went in there and just annihilated him in two rounds. Just annihilated him. Rocked his boots with a jab. You know, Dubois didn't do that with his jab. Rocked him in the boots and finished him off with a pull right right onto the temple. I'm so impressed with Fabio Wardley. He continue- He's another one. Next year, I think he'll be one of my picks for a most improved fighter because he's another one come from no amateur background. And now, you know, gatekeepers for guys like Dubois and Gorman who have great amateur pedigree, who have guys like Ricky Hatton in their corner, you know, Dubois trains out the Peacock gym, established places. And then this big bruise of Ipswich comes off, the, uh, comes off the unlicensed scene and just starts destroying these guys better than Dubois or better than Gorman has done it. He did, Fabio Wardley did it better than the other two. And he's a massive rising star in the heavyweight division. And you have to keep your eye on him because he's coming yeah. and I am on the bandwagon and I'm sticking on it, Fabio is the next big thing at heavyweight.
0: Fantastic, just before we move on from that about you and one thing that we cannot fail to mention and it has nothing to do with the actual fight but how about that for a ring walk from Richard Larte, I think he spent more time on his ring walk with a, a, a one step forward, two step back kind of mentality, you know, jigging away to his ring walk music than he did actually in the ring boxing, you know, what a ring walk that was I think it took everyone by surprise, I don't I don't really think that, that uh, Adam Smith and the, whoever it was on commentary, I think Matt Macklin really knew how to fill it in too much. You know, they, they just seemed to be like long periods of of silence as he was dancing away because he just clearly took it on to himself to to see this as his big performance. And you know, I dare say, had he went on and won that fight, you know, he he, he would have took even longer on his next ring walk. You know, what what a performance that's, that that wasn't its own right. What can you say? No latte, no party. Superb. Moving on to the other heavyweight fight on the card. Again, another one that split opinion, you know, and and this is a fighter that is, is generating a lot of conversation on social media, you know, on the blogs. Is he as good as what people are saying he is? Is he just another bruiser that is, is going to get found out when he steps up and level? We just don't know at the minute. I'm alluding to the savage Alan Babich. He came in against Tom Little. I revitalized Tom Little as we thought, you know, looking at the, the fight week, interviews, he's, the, the shape that he was in you know, a big shout out to Tom Little for the condition that he was in uh, but it, it was all not enough in the end of the day, You know, there's no other way to put it it just wasn't enough, uh, Babic uh, wore him down he, he, he brutalised Dylan, he pummeled him uh, into a, a third round stoppage victory uh, Babic is now 6 and with six knockouts, I don't think he's been beyond three rounds uh, unfortunately for Tom Little it does seem to be the end of the road He's called it a day. He's, had, you know, a, a tough career, um, and I think he seems to be full of, you know, a what if kind of mindset. You know, I dare say tinged with a lot of regret. But as it is, what was your thoughts on the fight? What's your thoughts on Babich as a fighter? And also, I mentioned on Tom Little's retirement. You. Well. One of the side effects of lockdown is that we can't go to the pub. Uh,
1: and one of the side effects of not being able to go to the pub is we can't stay up till three in the morning and watch the fight when everyone get kicked out. But luckily, Alan Babich and Tom Little delivered exactly that as they knocked seven bells out of each other. It looked like two doormen fighting. I said it was club level fight, it was a club level fight. Uh, again, I don't want to slag off Tom Little when he's retiring, you know. He's been a servant of the games. Guys guys like him, there's a reason we have guys like him who have like, what is his record? Like ten and ten or something, you know. He he has to he he has to exist for the sport to exist, but it was a club level fight. Babich just had three, six, three or four rounds of fitness through everything up Little and Little didn't have the, the chin for it. I, again, it's one of those things. I, I'm so high on Fabio Warley because I think he's legit. I think he's got a great jab. I think he's got great footwork, movement, feints. I think he's working and improving his game. Alan Babich is a doorman who can throw leather. Tom Little is a road fighter who can't even throw a jab. And, I don't again that seems really harsh, but it's a different level. And Alan Babich is gonna get smashed just when. If they put him in with David Price, he'll get smashed. If they put him in with Philip Hergovic, like he's talking about, he'll get smashed. It's it's a club level fight, you know. I don't know, even after he knocked Tom Little out in like three rounds, I don't know how much better than it is than Tom Little. I'm not impressed by Alan Babich. And again, I wish Tom Little the best, but I've never really been impressed by him as a heavyweight prospect either.
0: Yeah, certainly with uh Alan Babich in particular. You know, the one thing that I will say about him is that, you know, this this kind of persona that he's got of the savage, um, is, is you know, drawing I would say putting bums on seats, but it's it's more eyes to screens at the minute given that, you know, we are uh behind closed doors, fighting within the bubble almost. You know, and he is developing his persona. And one thing that I will give him credit for you, you know, is is that we're not going to find out how good he is until he steps up those levels. And a lot of people are saying that he will get found out when he does step up those levels. But he's certainly marketing himself very well. He's putting himself in a position to get these fights. He's he's garnering a lot of attention, you know, whether you're coming to see him Knock somebody out, whether you're coming to see him get knocked out, you know it's going to be all action. You're not going to be second guessing what you're getting from Alan Babbage. And if you want entertainment, you know, if you want a slugfest, if you want to see somebody just go for it and really want to try and hurt somebody and go for the knockout, which we all want to see in heavyweight boxing. You know, he's he's that man. As everybody says, he does exactly what he says on the tin. And from that point of view, I can't really fault Alan Babich. I think he's, 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 he's not going to be the second coming of of Sugar Ray Leonard or Sugar Ray Robinson. He's not going to be as fleet-footed as those guys. He's not going to have the defensive uh, prowess of somebody like Pennell Whitaker or Floyd Mayweather. But he doesn't proclaim to be either. He just says he's, he's a tough man that can fight and that he'll smash anyone in front of him. And although he's not stepped up levels massively, he has smashed everyone that's been put in front of him. He's, he's took care of Tom Little in emphatic fashion. Uh, he was the, I'm not too sure the, the gentleman's name, but the, the guy that he beat in in fight camp was a previous opponent of Joseph Parker. And, and Babic took care of him in more emphatic fashion than Joseph Parker. So, you know, you can only take bits and pieces from what we've seen so far. But I can't fault him for what he's built and for what he is. Um, if he gets found out, he gets found out. But I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun on the way. I think there
1: is an element of that, but it's one of those things as well. You know, I I praise Conor Ben for for creating his brand and creating his image and calling people out. But that's when you're improving in the gym as well. Babich is doing the same thing every single time. And I think he is just cashing in. And, you know, he's in his 30s. He's cashing in on the fact that he is a hard man, like you say. And, you know, more power to him uh, because he's going to earn money. But at the same time, I have to call it how I see it. And how I see it is Alan Babich is, you know, he's the top end of a club level fighter, but he's not. He's not worthy of world titles or European titles or British titles. Obviously, he's not British, but that level, um, yeah. I, I that's the way I see it. But again, yeah, more power to him. He's going to make money and hopefully brings eyeballs with his persona of the savage.
0: Absolutely, and I'm sure we'll watch that with bated breath. So let's get into it. You and it's as I alluded to in in, in our intro that this fight was originally scheduled for March. It was put back to July. I remember when it was first uh, announced. You know, we had the the, the huge uproar. And it was such a great fight to be made. And it, you know, it, as much as it was ordered by the the British Boxing Board of Control for the British title, I still thought this was a fight that was going to be held on to for a little longer. You know, as much as Joe Joyce is not getting any younger, uh, you know, I think he's touching thirty five now. He's not getting any younger, but I still thought that there was a couple of fights out there for these guys to. Build them up, you know. Maybe put them on the same card, you know. Maybe have a not the, the greatest talkers in the world, but maybe have them on the same card and maybe coming across each other in fight week and, and stuff like that. But as it is, it was scheduled, it was put back, it was rescheduled. I commend the eagerness of everyone involved, you know. Team Dubois, Team Joyce, Frank Warren, for their continued uh, interest in making sure this fight happens. It could easily have went by the wayside. You know, they had the the close behind closed doors fight in the summer, the tick over fights, which is just. Baited the, the excitement even more so for November 28th coming up. It's a great fight. They're both undefeated. There's, there's so much on the line, both domestically, bragging rights, uh, bragging rights for each team. You know, Sam Jones always has so much to say. Frank Warren has clearly took the side of Daniel Dubois, but there's also repercussions on a world level, given Daniel Dubois standing within the WBO. You know, there's, there's surely going to be a, a, fragment, a fragmentation of the titles at world level. And the winner of this fight, as we'll go into, will certainly have a greater standing on a world level after the fight on Saturday night. It's great. It's great.
1: And I'm so glad that both teams have taken it. You know, Daniel Dubois, is he's, he's exactly a month or two months younger than me. Uh, and it's one of those things. He's, he's so young. He's so young. He, he doesn't have to take somebody the calibre of Joyce now. But he said, no, I'm legit. I'm the next best thing. You know, I'm going to throw myself in at the deep end. And he's taken Joe Joyce. That's an Olympic silver medalist. He should have been an Olympic gold medalist. He got cheated out of his gold medal in the final against Tony Oka, who's a drugs cheat. Um, and, you know, Joe Joyce is as legit as they come. He's got great amateur background. He's got WBS fights, WSB fights, sorry, against the likes of Alexander Rucic. He's got everything coming into this fight. And Daniel Dubois gone, no, I want that guy. Because Daniel Dubois could have turned it, turned it, down, turned it down, won his British title outright against... You know, who did, who did Joshua win the British title off? Gary Cornish, someone like that. You know, Dubois could be fighting guys like that, but he's gone, no, I want Joe Joyce. That is why this is a great fight, because Dubois believes in himself, and Joyce believes in himself, and it's, that's why it's a genuine 50-50, and that's why I'm so impressed that both teams are taking it.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. You know, it's, it's dynamite against juggernaut, and as you say, the, the, the standing that they both have at the minute, you know, Dubois could potentially be a fight or two away from a world title himself, but as you say, he's decided to put it all on the line here. And these two other standout all-British heavyweight title fights uh, that, that, that come to mind that I can compare to this. You know, and, and then what, what I want to do as we as we build up towards our breakdown and uh, eventual uh, predictions of the fight, of course, is is kind of mix it in with these two fights that I've mentioned. One that'll certainly be of uh, knowledge to yourself, you and given that you're our boxing historian here, at simbox. Uh, let's go back to March of 91. Uh, back in March of 91, we had a young Lennox Lewis. He was 14 oh, He'd not put a foot wrong and he was going in there with the late Gary Mason, who himself was 35-0. and 0. He'd not tasted defeat. He'd beat all 35 men that had been put in front of him. And what I think is kind of surreal, given the way we are so quick to rush boxes nowadays and, and try and get them into that world title fight or get them into that world title picture, that Gary Mason had got to 35-0 and 0, and the biggest fight of his career was still in front of him, which was a British and European title fight against a young 14-and-old Lennox Lewis. Uh, as it was, Lewis would go on to win by stoppage in the seventh round. A huge swelling under the eye of Gary Mason brought a premature end to the fight. And looking beyond that fight, Gary Mason only fought two more times before calling it a day. Um, and you just think, you know, he it, it retired with a 37-and-1 record and never fought anywhere near a kind of world title or a fringe world title uh, opposition. Lennox Lewis, we all knew where the story went after uh, arguably the greatest British fighter of all time and certainly I'd say the greatest British heavyweight of all time. The second fight, Ewan, is not too long ago, 2015. We already mentioned him on this podcast, but Andy Joshua, 14-0 uh, and clashing with domestic rival Dillian White at 16-0. And, and that's another example of a great fight where two young... Heavyweight boxers put it all in line when maybe they could have avoided each other and went down easier routes. But that was another great British title fight. Yeah, so you and for me, those are the only two other fights in terms of standing, historical standing, that I can compare to what we have coming up on Saturday.
1: I've got a couple of little, uh, a little, little just jots in. First of all, Bob Fitzsimmons is the greatest British heavyweight of all time. He's also the greatest British light heavyweight and middleweight of all time. But that's by the by. Um, his great fights from the, 18th, uh, the 19th century. Um, the one that I want to say is what you won't remember is Frank Warren picking Gary Mason to knock out Lennox Lewis. That is a great historical comparison. Gary Mason is very much the Joe Joyce and Lennox Lewis very much the Dubois. I think that there's so many parallels to draw from that fight and with what Lennox Lewis then went on to, to do and how good an acid test it was to have a guy like Gary Mason for that British title and how much we can hope for well me as a as a big proponent of Daniel Dubois I can hope for in terms of his progression in these fights as Lennox Lewis learned from these fights. You know, the reason he was able to perform the way he did at the top level is because he wasn't rushed through and he had these big tests early on, but also at the right time. And we can hope that that this test against Joyce can grow Dubois like it grew Lennox Lewis. And then subsequently to your second point, like it grew Auntie Joshua.
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing to mention there is, you know, you can say what you want about the level opposition, but you know, uh, Dubois um, or, or Lennox as well as you say, you know, they, they, they're going to kind of go the traditional route and picking up all the belts and, you know, after uh, the uh, Gary Mason fight, Lennox obviously didn't rush on you know, and, and, and certainly Daniel Dubois may take another couple of fights before a world title shot if he defeats Joe Joyce. Anthony Joshua, after Dylan White he, he went into the Vladimir Klitschko fight, which I think is a huge step up. You know, given that he had so much trouble with Dillian White in that second round. You know, the 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 big left hook that that wobbled Joshua for certainly the first time in his career. At that point, you know, to say that he jumped from from that fight against uh, sorry uh, the the fight with Dillian White into the, the defense with Charles Martin, sorry for the the IBF title, and then that's why I mentioned about the the fact that. You might criticise Charles Martin, you know, we've not got a weak heavyweight champion at the minute for somebody like Daniel Dubois or Jojo to jump in with. But Joshua went from British title, toughest fight of his career, straight into that world title scene. He smashed Charles Martin, as we all know, and and it really snowballed from there, you know. The, but in terms of the actual fight with Dylan White, I thought it was great. That's what British title boxing, for me, as a more recent uh, boxing fan, you know, I, I'm, I'm all about the in the late 90s onwards. Uh, I thought the anti-Joshua Dillian White fight was great and what British title boxing should all be about. You know, take away the the theatrics at the end of the, th- the first round where all the entourages jumped in the ring and whatever else. The actual fight itself was a great fight. I was on the edge of my seat watching it and it was a, a concussive, conclusive ending in the seventh round. And it was good to see both men rebuilt. The one thing I will say is obviously, in terms of both men rebuilding, we can argue that George Ellis hasn't got time on his side to kind of rebuild back into world title contention, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, you talk about chaos in British heavyweight title fights. There's a famous incident between
1: uh, London and Cooper where everyone rushes into the ring, but I'll let you Google that one on your own so as not to go too far on a tangent. But yeah, as it relates back to this fight, you know, it is those, those undefeated prospects, and I know jo- Joyce is older, but both of them, they have everything to lose because if Joe Joyce loses, it's the end of the road. But if Dubois loses, everyone goes, oh, see, he wasn't that good anyway. And the rebuild is so much tougher. You know, it's such um, a kind of crossroads fight for both fighters. And that's what makes it so interesting. In the same way it was for AJ and Dillian White, you know, it was one has to rebuild, one gets propelled. And in this way, it's one gets repelled and then one has to either rebuild or might even be finished in the sport. It might even be higher tensions than that, higher stakes. And that's what makes it so interesting. That's what makes it, so tantalising as a boxing fan this Saturday night.
0: Certainly, you know, and uh, I think a, a, a point to look at is the risk risk versus reward. You know, and this is one thing that will crop up in discussions when it comes to contracts, when it comes to purses and demands and and everything else. You know, but these guys are risking everything, and the reward. You know, the the, the fact that they're going to be taking less money. We know that's a given with the, with the whole pandemic. We we, t- we you know we re- relate back to the pandemic so much in. In, as boxing fans, as boxing uh, writers, and, and everything else. But it's such a, it's, it's, it's the biggest part of, of, of every aspect of life at the minute. You know, it, it's controlling everything. So these guys are going to be taking less financial reward. But beyond that, the, the, the shot of glory, what we all like to see from boxers is, is putting the financial side of things to the side. And, and focusing on glory and focusing on titles and focusing on opportunity. And that's, again, as we've alluded to already, you know, they're, they're not protecting that. Oh, you know, the whole Mayweather persona, maybe, where people love to be undefeated. And you've seen boxes like Tyson Fury thrive off being undefeated. Deontay Wilder certainly thrived off being undefeated. And we've all seen how he's reacted to to losing that. Oh, and losing that undefeated persona. You know, that's that's certainly not the way to go. And we've seen Anthony Joshua lose his undefeated record and you know he took it a bit more graciously and rebuilt and he's back into very much uh, the top echelons of heavyweight boxing and it's great to see you know across any division but certainly in the heavyweight division with this fight that the, the, the risk in that oh they're prepared to put it all on the line and the financial reward is not as big as it could have been had they put this fight off until fans come back and they pats out the auto arena they're still prepared to put it on the line because they know the glory the end goal the titles that they're, they're standing within the WBO and the other ranking bodies is so huge that, that money will come after. The victor is going to chase huge purses down the line and and I, I think that's superb. I think it's something that should be applauded. It should be applauded for both teams. It should be applauded for Frank Warren. It's just it's what we want to see more of as boxing fans across the board. You know, We, we don't want to see fights over-marinated. We don't want to see the Mayweather and the Pacquiao fight after five years too late. We don't want to see the ship sail for a fight between uh, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, like it has, to, it, it has happened. You know, this fight is happening at exactly the right time, at, at exactly the right place for the two fighters, and it is great to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely, glory, history, everything that a fighter should strive for. These guys are going for this weekend. They're rolling the dice. They're gambling with their own
0: futures, and that's why we love to watch. I think a certain aspect to this fight has grabbed my attention. You know, I know promoters are going to favour one fighter over another, even when they're in-house. We certainly knew that uh, Eddie Hearn was favouring Auntie Joshua throughout and he still would if Auntie Joshua rematched uh, Dylan White at any point. We know he'd be on the side of Auntie Joshua. But I, for, for one you know, maybe, maybe I was a bit, I wouldn't say deluded or a bit blinded maybe, but I didn't see it being so clear from Frank Warren that he was favouring Daniel Dubois so much. You know, I know he's been there from the start with Dubois and, and Joe Joyce has, has come to the team a little later on. Maybe that plays a part. Maybe the fact that Sam Jones is so prominent with Joyce that Frank Warren kind of feels pushed out. I don't know, but, he's, you know, you've certainly seen it in that across-the-table, you know, face-off kind of programme done with Steve Bunce, which was a little bit awkward in times. But I thought that the way that Frank Warren was favouring... Daniel Dubois so much, really took me by surprise. And if Joe Joyce pulls off the win and goes on to the bigger fights, it's going to be really interesting to see Frank Warren then be so favourable of Joe Joyce moving forward. I know he won't forget Daniel Dubois and he won't, you know, kind of push him to the side and forget about him. He'll help him rebuild and, you know, he, you know, get him back to where he needs to be. But then I think that the way he'll kind of promote Joe Joyce in the bigger fights and the world title fights that may come along if he gets the victory, I just think it's really... It took me by surprise. I think that's the only way I can put it. You, uh, It's not old man Frank's
1: first rodeo. He knows the Don King moniker. You walk to the ring with a champion and you walk out with a champion, no matter who that is. Frank Warren has realised that the gap in this fight is not skills, it's not records, it's not fighting ability, it's chat, it's talking. And Joe Joyce has brought his own little dog to chat up for him. He's brought Sam Jones to chat and Sam Jones is doing a fantastic job. Don't get me wrong is yapping away for Joe Joyce. Suddenly, Frank turned around and his man stood there with nobody yapping for him. So Frank's gone, right, I'm going to do that job. I need to be the promotion. To make this interesting to watch, to make people tune in, I'm going to go against Sam Jones because, God bless them, they're great fighters, but Joe and Daniel cannot chat to save their lives. So what they need is what we need is Uncle Frank versus Sam Jones. That sells. That sells the fight more than these two guys. They do their talking in the ring. They do the talking with their fists. And Frank's recognised that Daniel needs an advocate the same way Joe brought his own advocate. And I think it's a masterstroke because although it is going to be awkward if uh, Joe knocks Daniel out and then then Frank's promoting his next fight, but trust me, the boxing public has a short attention span and Frank will be jumping on the Dubois train next time. We'll forget and he'll make more money. It's as simple. It's the oldest trick in the book, you know, from Tex Ricard to Don King. Now it's Uncle Frank, and in the future it will be Eddie and whoever else comes next. You know, it 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 it's a classic promoter trick, and I think I think the promotion's actually been better
0: for it. Yeah, well, this is something that I was going to touch on. It was, it was it's it's quite refreshing, almost that you know it's although they did get him around this table and they did have the face off, and you know, I know it was back when the fight was originally announced, um, but I like the fact that it. it you know, they're not being forced to say anything. What they do say does come across as quite awkward uh, and they're not, you know, they're not Floyd whether they're not uh, Hamid, um certainly not Deontay Wilder, or Tyson Fury in recent years, but they're not really forcing anything either and that's like you say when they do put Frank Warren there and they do put Sam Jones there and they're kind of leaving the two combatants, the two warriors to to sit back and kind of be like, well, you talk for me and I'll do the talking in the ring I'll back up what you say. I kind of find that quite refreshing. You know, it, it's kind of like... Uh, it's no bullshit. you know. The, 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 it has been forced at times, but we forget that because Sam Jones and Frank Warren up took over. Uh, yeah, I kind of find it refreshing.
1: I agree, but it also gives Daniel time to shine because, bless him, I think he just lacks a little bit of confidence. I don't think he's not sharp because in that round table, they said Sam Jones is going, he hasn't had the middle fight, he hasn't had the middle fight, and then but because he's not had to be speaking then Daniel can just chime in. This is the middle fight. I thought that and was superb.
0: Up. I thought that was absolutely what? superb.
1: One little quip. If he was having to think of answers all the time, he wouldn't have come up with that little quip. But because Frank's doing his answers, when he sees the opportunity for a quip, he gets it in. And that's a brilliant little bit of trash talk. And it's a great little soundbite that, that's been reposted on Twitter loads. It's great. I think it's actually come you know, you always want fighters that can chat. Like I say, you want you want Everybody wants Nas. Everybody wants every fighter to be Nas, but they're not going to be. But when you've got people who won't engage, doing something like this, it's turned out really well. And I think it's probably sold more in terms of the eyeballs on BT Sport than it could well have done if you tried to make Joe and Daniel have like a, an awkward face-off like they did at the beginning.
0: Certainly. So looking further back with both men, they've obviously got different levels of amateur experience as we've touched on. They've also sparred during those amateur days. Uh, how much do you think either man would take into the ring on Saturday, even from those amateur sparring sessions, as as sparse or as in depth as they may have been? I think Joe Joyce takes massive confidence in his in his pedigree, as he should.
1: You know, like I say, he's. He's a rightful Olympic gold medalist. You know, he beat out the likes of Fraser Clark, who was an, a fantastic boxer, to get that Olympic place. To even get a place, and then he fought the likes of Tony Yoker in the Olympic final. Then he went on to the WSB and fought the likes of Alexander Usyk, fought great fighters like Carmelo, who beat Anthony Joshua in the amateurs. You know, he's he's got a great, great, great amateur pedigree, and he has to back himself with that, and rightfully so. You know that pedigree will serve him well on the, on, uh, on Saturday night. But then if you look at Daniel, you have to take, you know, he can't let his lack of amateur pedigree get to him either. You know, you have to take things like sparring into account. You know, there's the famous story, did he or did he not drop Anthony Joshua? Nobody knows. Probably not, would be my guess. But it's one of those things you have to take, Confidence from what you have. Daniel Dubois has sparring experience, right? So he's got to take confidence in that. And Joe Joyce has a glittering amateur career. He has to take confidence from that. It's all about how you use your background. You know, Mike Tyson got beat for the Olympic team, but when he made his debut when he was 19, when he beat Trevor Burbick at 20 for the world title, he wasn't thinking about his amateur pedigree. You know, it's about using what you have, not necessarily relying on it.
0: Absolutely. So we move to the fight itself here and the the nuts and bolts of it you know the the, the main event we're gonna each of us will give our reasons for why we believe the fight will break down the way it will in our eyes um but what i want us to do you know this is as we spoke uh earlier about it's going to be some sort of political debate because one way or another we've both been so on the fence almost but now we're so settled in our predictions you know certainly from my point of view you know i was up in the air with how I thought this fight was going to go, and, and you know, given that we've had so much time to sit around and think about it, you know, and would the the, the result have been different way back when, or when it was it was rearranged for the summer, and you know, it, everything there's so many variables, but I have settled on my choice. I have settled on why I believe that as well, but I've also picked out why I think I could be wrong. So there's one little aspect to that, that I'm going to add on the, to the end because it is a 50-50 fight. As we've mentioned, as everybody's mentioned, you know, it's power versus power. It's dynamite versus juggernaut. It's seeking seeking destroy them from both men, certainly. And I'm not too sure if you can pick a way for your guy to get beat, but I certainly can and that's something that I will add on to the end. So we approach the main event on Saturday night, Ewan. Both men are in the ring. They're staring across from each other. Take it from there for me for how you see this fight going.
1: I think Daniel Dubois will lose rounds. I think he will get jabbed. I think he will get out-muscled, out-old man in the clinch. But ultimately, he'll spot a gap. And when Daniel Dubois spots a gap, he finishes. You know, we saw it, like, every single time. He spotted the gap and he's finished it. You know, Gorman, great fighter. Saw a gap and he outboxed him to finish. You know, Larty came flying at him. He saw the punch. He finished the fight. I think Daniel Dubois will, like I say, I think he'll drop rounds. I think he'll have a torrid time, but the great fighters find a way to win. And I'm on the Daniel Dubois train. I think that he's a, potentially a great fighter. And I think that Joe Joyce, as much as he is a great fighter, he's cumbersome. He's big. He is slow. And Daniel Dubois is not. He's fast and explosive. And I think he'll catch him on the chin. I don't think he'll drop him. But I think eventually the referee will have to make a decision about how much punishment Joyce can take. I think that might come late in the fight, after quite a torrid time. But I think Daniel Dubois will find the opening. He will stun Joyce and he will use that explosiveness to finish him on his feet. That's my that's my pr- pr- prediction. Again, there is a way for my guy to lose. You know, I, I love Daniel Dubois, but if that if that beating goes on for twelve rounds and he can't find the way to win, then of course he's going to lose. But realistically, in my mind, I can only see one outcome and that's a Daniel Dubois knockout or TKO.
0: Interesting, interesting. And such, as I've said already, is my on-the-fence thoughts on this fight previously. I can understand where you're coming from, but you and I'm going to disagree with you. And I love disagreeing with you because it creates debate and we love debate. And and certainly within the podcast, that's something we're developing so much. Um, But... Joe Joyce wins this fight and, and I'll, I'll tell you for why I think he, he's so much more experienced both uh, in fighting higher level opposition, you know, and also fought on much higher platforms for a long, long time in comparison to Dubois. Uh, you know, this is not Ebenezer Tete. this is not Fujimoto and, you know, this is certainly not fighters of that ilk. Joe Joyce is by far the best fighter that Daniel Dubois has come up against Uh by far and away, you know. All due respect to Nathan Gorman, we know he had his issues out of the ring. lead nooks that fight. Would it have made a difference on the fight night? Who knows, you know. And I'm, I'm fully done in my Sam Jones uh, t-shirt, my Team Joyce uh, goggles. Uh, I, I truly believe Joe Joyce wins this fight. He's got a great jab that will help keep Dubois at, at, at bay. You know, of course, he's got that punch power. But you know, if he's not going to get close, he's he's not going to land that right hook, and then that that's it. That's his money shot. Of course, it is. That's the one that everyone thinks is going to do damage. And my big selling point on Joe Joyce is, I think Dubois is going to be in for a shock more when he sees Joyce absorb the shot. Then Joyce will be by the power of Dubois. This is not his first rodeo. This is not the first time he's getting in there with a big puncher. But I dare say this is the first time Daniel Dubois is going to be in a real fight where the person in front of him is not just going to fall over. I think that Joyce has got an iron will. He, you know, he's, he's, he's much tougher than than people give him credit for. He's relentless. He, he constantly pushes. And you know, he might be cumbersome and he might, you know, lack a little bit in, in in hand speed. But I think overall, he's he's just he's a great fighter, and he's certainly at this time in his career versus this version of Daniel Dubois. You know, I dare say. If Daniel Dubois was 28, 29, with a bit more experience, would I be arguing differently? Who knows? But certainly on Saturday night, Joe Joyce has all the weapons in his armoury to combat somebody of Daniel Dubois' age, experience and fighting style.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. He, he is the best fighter Daniel Dubois faced for, for the moment. But Archie Moore was the best fighter Ali had faced when he was this kind of 15, 16 and 0. Gary Mason, who we talked about before, he was, he was Lennox Lewis's best test, you know. Trevor Burbik, he was Mike Tyson's best test. What happened in all those fights? The old guy, the guy who was the best test, the guy who was the potential banana skin, it got knocked out. It got knocked cold, you know. The, the up-and-coming heavyweights will always find a way. If you're going to be the next heavyweight champion of the world, as I believe Daniel Dubois has the potential to be, you know, you'll find a way against these guys. You'll spot that opening. You know, you'll find out where their that weakness is. And with Joe Joyce, it's not hard. It's not hard. He looks like he's fighting two blocks of cement in his boots. It's not hard to find the, the movement. There. Yeah, Daniel's not Ali. He's not gonna Ali shuffle across the ring. But it's not hard. You know, everybody can see why where Joe Joyce is limited. So everybody can see that. Daniel has just got to explode into his opportunity when he spots it.
0: He exploded into his opportunity with uh Latte. We've seen how limited Richard Latte is. And, you know, I'm not going to take um, that Dubois beat the, the the fight out of Latte, given that what we've seen uh, after. You know, and we've mentioned that already. So if if he if he takes confidence from taking a shot from Richard Latte, is his acid test? Is in he's went to war. That's it. He, I think he had a tough 30 seconds, and that's pretty much all he's had. You know, he went the distance with Kevin Johnson and couldn't get him out of there. You know, he. He didn't really show any kind of variation to his work in the Kevin Johnson fight. He kind of went headhunting and he wanted that knockout and it didn't come. I don't think he's shown like a, a different side to his game where he could like, you know, although he won the fight against Kevin Johnson, it was, it, it was boring. It wasn't a great fight. And I, I think Joyce, uh, when he went the distance with somebody levels and levels above Kevin Johnson in Bryant Jennings, he looked a lot more accomplished. He's shown a lot more, you know, when he's fighting people like Brian Jennings, like Domain Stiverne, like Alexander Ustinov. Yeah, they're not world beaters in their own right, but they're a lot higher ranked. They're, they're a, hot, uh, a lot higher level of opponents, uh, barring maybe Nathan Gorman that Joe Joyce has, uh, that Daniel Dubois has fought. Now I'm going to play Devil's Advocate. As we said, we'll try and add in a reason for why we see the fight going against what we predicted. Now, you mentioned that you see the the right hand of Daniel Dubois causing the damage, you know, and that very well could be he's got spectacular power. But for me, I think the shot that Dubois needs to be looking for here, and it was a shot that it's so noticeable in the Bryant Jennings fight, certainly early on. I think it was even maybe the first round, was that left hook to the body, and Daniel Dubois actually throws a mean left hook to the body. Joe Joyce is is is, is huge. He's a big man. There's a big target there for Dubois to weigh him at. and I think if he goes in early and he goes looking for that big right hand and he disguises the left hook to the body Joe Joyce was really really hurt in that fight with Brian Jennings twice to the point where he recoiled and he didn't even disguise the fact that he was hurt Daniel Dubois could easily land that punch if he so desired and and, and flip this fight on his head and I think that for me is the more likely outcome for Dubois in terms of getting the victory and again to switch that up
1: Granted, again, I'm going to back my guy and Bryant Jennings is tiny compared to Daniel Dubois, so he will stop him. But um, again, to play devil's advocate, like I said, to back Joyce, he has to use that amateur pedigree. He has to get behind that jab. He has to go, I'm not going anywhere. When he gets hit, he has to stand back up to Daniel Dubois, bully the bully, say, your your power's not going to do anything to me. Keep jabbing, keep moving, keep using his boxing fundamentals, the fundamentals of his that are better than Joyce's pedigree. Uh, than Dubois, even that's how he wins that fight, and he wins it by dragging him into deep waters with that amateur pedigree. And again, as much as I've been faithful to Dubois, that's a possibility, and that's why this fight's so exciting. Yeah,
0: it really is. It really is. We both can, you know, sit here and, and give our, our arguments, and you know, I don't think we'll be so much in agreement when it comes to dare I say Tyson Fury and Joshua. But that is a totally different subject that we really will dissect in the future. But here, given that it's such a close fight, and we agree it's such a close fight, it's so easy to see how the other person's right. I think. Again, I go back to it. I do think Dubois starts like a, a house on fire, you know, and I, I do think it, it'll come at Joe Joyce like a train. Um, and he very well could beat him. But I think he could beat him early. But I do think Joyce does get behind the jab, like you say. And I think jo- uh, Dubois will tie There's a lot of muscle there that's going to lose a, 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 a lot of oxygen. And then when it comes past round six, round seven, as I believe it'll go, And those, you know, waters start to drown. Daniel Dubois, those punches keep coming. Joe Joyce will not slow down. We know that for a fact. It it won't be a one-punch knockout from Joe Joyce. Um, It will be like a grinding out, a a war of attrition. It really will grind down on Daniel Dubois. And I think we see Daniel Dubois pulled out, sitting on his stool in round nine or ten.
1: I think there's a lot of stylistic similarities between Lennox Lewis and Frank Bruno. I know we've talked a lot about Lennox, but Lennox has had that explosive power the same way Daniel does. And he had that nuance, that underrated nuance that Daniel does. And Frank Bruno is an impeccable fighter, but like Joe Joyce, he was big, slow, cumbersome. And then as soon as he took his eye off the ball, he was trying to stop Lennox Lewis in the seventh round and he was pushing him and the referee was having a close look, right? Frank Bruno was really putting it on Lennox Lewis. Then Lennox just exploded. And he absolutely, he he used a big left hook, nearly took Frank Bruno's head off. And that was in the seventh round. That's what's going to happen in this fight. uh, Dubois is going to lose rounds. He's going to look uncomfortable. Then he's going to explode and he's going to stop Joyce. Dubois in seven for me.
0: Superb, superb. We really do look forward to it. Ewan, one thing that I wanted to mention earlier on in the debate, um, and I think it's quite interesting. In, in, In whose corner do you think will the desire to earn the other man's respect be more prominent you know, given that Dubois is the bigger puncher, but Joe Joyce takes the better punch, so we believe who will be in there looking to make their mark earlier and gain the respect to the other man at the very first opportunity? Do you think Joe Joyce is going to go in there and say, Look, I'm not just a punching bag that's going to be here all night, bam, taste one of mine? Or do you think Dubois will be eager to show that he also can take a shot when necessary and, and enter into that up close kind of exchanges with Joe Joyce and have no fear of worrying? about taking a shot?
1: I think they're going to try and prove to each other that they're the opposite thing. I think Dubois is going to come out more cute, more nuanced, more boxing, using his boxing more, his feet, his jab, try and show Joyce that he can box too. And I think Joyce will come out and try and be like, look, I can fight too and come and try and throw heavy leather. I think it's going to be a cagey first start because I think think actually Joyce is going to come chasing Dubois for the first couple of first couple of minutes if not later on because, you know, one of them is improving, learning. The other one is trying to do it now because he's not got much time left. I think it's a really interesting battle. But yeah, I think they might come for the first minute at least with each other's styles and I think that that might be really, really interesting.
0: That would certainly be very intriguing. But as it is, Ewan, we're going to set it in stone again just so there's no going back. My prediction is going to be a stoppage victory for Joe Joyce in rounds 9 or 10. Okay, Dubois, stoppage, six and seven. Super. You know, one thing that I do find really, really intriguing is the fact that you picked round seven, given that, you know, the fights that we've mentioned already at British title, great British title heavyweight fights. uh, Anthony Joshua stopped Dillian White round seven. Lennox Lewis stopped Gary Mason round seven. And Lennox Lewis stopped Frank Bruno, if I'm correct, in round seven as well. I think that's quite a crazy, you know, lucky number seven, kind of, if you're into that kind of... Thing and you know looking for patterns I, th- I think it's quite interesting that round seven is so prominent
1: i'll i'll, uh, I'll change my twitter handle to the profit if it comes true all right superb.
0: so yeah <laughs> we really look forward to that we welcome all and any kind of debate uh, on twitter you know both myself and you and then also at the simbox page we've got a lot of prediction articles coming on the channel we've got a prediction uh, article on the website we've got prediction videos from different boxes from across you know heavyweight boxes uh British boxers, everything is it's, it's going to be a fantastic video to see. We've got our team prediction comes as well. So we've really gone to town on this and give it the real big fight field because it is a huge fight. It's arguably the greatest British fight of recent years. And yeah, we welcome any kind of feedback, anybody that agrees with me, disagrees with me, and the same with you. And We're always open to debate. It's that kind of fight. It's going to show who is the the, the best young British heavyweight prospect. And as we've both said, you know, it's interesting to see where the winner goes and also where the loser goes. But yeah, we're really excited for this fight. You and it's a great fight. We've given it our all. We've gone back and forth. So many reasons for and against what we believe. It really is splitting opinion. And yeah, we look forward to that first ball on Saturday.
1: It's going to be fantastic.
0: Okay, so we've discussed prospects in the heavyweight division. Let's flip this completely around. Another fight that takes place this Saturday. Is it a fight? Is it a show? Who knows? But we've gone from lauding young British heavyweights um, or certainly British prospects. You know, Joe Joyce isn't a young man by any stretch of the imagination, but he's young in terms of his boxing career as a professional. That is, I wouldn't say free to wear because it's on BT, but it comes without the PPV moniker, without the pay-per-view 1995 or 2495 or whatever is the going rate for a pay-per-view. Now, A few hours after this fight, when the dust has settled and myself or Ewan will be proved correct in our predictions and everybody else will know the result of this fight over in America, we have an exhibition. And take from the exhibition tag what you will. I, am Mike Tyson, 53-year-old Mike Tyson, out of the ring since 2005, he's back in the ring, he's lacing them up again, and he's taken on none other than Roy Jones Jr., the great Roy Jones Jr. in, again, an eight-round exhibition, two-minute rounds. This is split opinion, maybe in a bad way, just as much as Joyce Dubois, a split opinion in a good way. Ewan, give me your thoughts on it. There's a long history of exhibitions between
1: with great heavyweight champions. I'll preview this a little bit more in my article on Thursday. But, you know, Joe Lewis, Jack Dempsey, Muhammad Ali, all of them did exhibitions and they all did... Some somewhat absurd exhibitions uh, in, uh, in their times. And now Mike Tyson, the last great transcendent heavyweight champion, is doing one. I have very limited interest in it as a competitive affair. But as a 22-year-old guy, I've never seen Mike Tyson do a ring walk. And there is a little bit of interest in that to me. But again, I don't believe it will be competitive. You know, Muhammad Ali was famous for coasting. Uh, his way through his exhibitions and against the likes of Lyle Lazardo and uh, and uh, Antonio Inoki, I, I think it's going to be a very very underwhelming affair. And like I say, don't get your hopes up because this is not the Mike Tyson that knocked out Burbek and Spinks and Tucker and Tubbs. This is not that guy. He's he's long gone. This is Morikans, the guy that got knocked out by Danny Williams and Kevin McBride. This is also the Roy Jones Jr. that got knocked out by Enzo Macronelli. Don't get excited. It's not a real fight. Stick to your boxing. Stick to your Dubois Joyce's. But then enjoy it for what it is. It's a carnival. It is It is a celebration of two guys who have given their lives to our sport. And fair enough, they want to make a bit of money. But again, it's not boxing.
0: Yeah. So as we praised, as we already said, the, the fact that Dubois Joyce isn't pay-per-view, BT are charging 1995 for this fight, this exhibition, this show, of, of two legends that are in their 50s. Um, there's so many different little rules and nuances to this fight. So, eight two-minute rounds. There's no official judges ringside, but there's going to be a WBC panel. Uh, if I remember correctly, I know Chad Dawson's a part of there. You and do you know the other two judges? It slips my mind. I know Chad Dawson's definitely on there. I believe
1: Vinny Pazienza is doing it, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, and there's
0: somebody else in there as well. So, they're going to declare the winner, but it's not going to... Count on anybody's official record. There's no official winner. Uh, also, if a cut occurs, the fight is immediately over. Now, you, and, you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. You know, and in no way am I lauding this as a good fight, as a a good spectacle, as something that we should see more of. Because I don't think that you know, the, a few years ago we thought we was going to get the trilogy fight with Chris Eubank and Nigel Benn, and and luckily that never came off. And then we thought we was going to get the comeback of Nigel Benn against uh, Sadio Becker and that never happened. And that was great. But I actually think. Mike Tyson is that kind of animal. He's always been that kind of beast. Once those gloves go on, you know, and I dare say, it starts off quite jovial, quite light But I think, even at 53 years of age, you know, Jones lands a bit of a stiff jab, you know, and I think the red mist descends with Mike Tyson and I think he does go ahead and I do think he reverts to type because fighters like Mike Tyson don't know any other way, you know, and that then, I do think, I don't think it becomes an entertaining spectacle, almost in a, a grotesque, why it does, you know, we kind of not enjoy it, but you can't peel your eyes away from it, you know. And uh, I think that, that certainly, you know, it could, it could be a bore fest. It could be two men lumbersome and, and, and plodding around the ring. But I do think that if Jones certainly lands something of note on Mike Tyson, I think it's more likely Mike Tyson that'll lose his cool and lose the plot and, and, and forget the old exhibition tag more so than Roy Jones. You know, no disrespect to Roy Jones. I, I, but what, what if that happens, Ewan? What if, what if Mike Tyson thinks, fuck this, he's landed you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still eyeing Mike Tyson. I'm still the, the baddest motherfucker on the planet. And I'm going to decapitate Roy Jones Jr. What if that happens?
1: Uh, again, it's one of those things. That, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. There is, like I say, um, I don't want to spoil my own preview article, but there is, there is an example of Jack Dempsey who took on a very similar type of fighter to Mike Tyson. You know, seek and destroy flurry of punches big hard fast punches he took on a, a professional wrestler in a boxing bout in an exhibition in his 40s you know which back in back in the 1940s that, that was his 60s and uh, as soon as Cowboy Luttrell landed one punch on him Dempsey just absolutely annihilated him and I think that that's a very real possibility Roy Jones was never really even a cruiserweight let alone a heavyweight I know he beat John Ruiz but John Ruiz was awful um, I think that there is a real chance that Mike Tyson could force a stoppage but hopefully uh, we aren't having that Jackal and Hyde Tyson anymore. Hopefully we're having a man that's more at peace with himself than the, t- than the tortured Tyson we saw against Lewis and Bota and-, and Danny Williams later on in his career. Hopefully we're getting a more wholesome Mike Tyson who can enjoy getting back in the ring rather than a guy who needs to decapitate, needs to seek and destroy, needs to commit violence on another person. Yeah, maybe
0: so. I think one of the interesting aspects, given that there's no official winner, so there doesn't seem to be that kind of pressure to award it one way or another. Uh, you know, and in some of the you know, the the, the rules and the regulations that I've seen, there has been mentioned that there's no betting on this fight. But if you look at some UK bookmakers, you know, and I'll mention Sky Bet, there obviously is other uh, bookmakers available, and we always say gamble responsibly. I'm not, you know, alluding to anybody gambling in any shape of the imagination. But for me, you and I've had a look, and this is eight rounds at two minutes each. You know, they're not really advocating massive, massive violence, as you've said. You know, they've got a draw there at 10 to 1, you know, and I think in the in in the interest of, of fairness, in the interest of, you know, um love and war, if if they kinda of just want this to be an exhibition of two legends that have come together to make a few quid before Christmas and that they kind of do plod along and that he's not a real winner to pick. It could very easily be a draw in the fact that they both ride off into the sunset and fingers crossed, this is it. They made their, their last books and you know Mike Tyson goes back to growing his weed and making his millions, his fortunes doing that, and Roy Jones goes back to maybe training Chris Eubank Jr. and and can make his money that way. I certainly think that's an interesting aspect of the fight, considering there is markets on betting on the fight. I think a draw jumps off the page to me because it makes sense across the board. I'm
1: not a gambling man, but I might make an exception. That sounds like a very well-reasoned argument.
0: Absolutely. So the the last thing that I want to touch on, Ewan, is if this is a success, if this does pay-per-view buys, there is going to be a lot of people watching the Dubois-Joyce fight for all the right reasons and those people are going to be badgered and badgered and badgered throughout that uh, production, throughout that programming to fork out 20 pounds immediately after Daniel Dubois versus Joe Joyce. Here's your winner. Now, would you like to pay $19.95? Because in a few hours, the baddest man on the planet is going to fight the four-weight world champion Roy Jones. That's how they're going to market it. And if it's success, if it's a roaring success, if Mike gets out of there and he feels a million bucks and he's going to go and say... I could do this and I could do that, and I could beat Wilder and I could beat Fury and I could be Anthony Joshua because Anthony Joshua is the number one heavyweight in the world, and then I'd reclaim my throne. That very well could happen. I hope it doesn't, but what happens then? Are we going to see more of these exhibition fights? You know, we're, we're overrun at times with YouTube boxes. We've got a YouTube box on the undercard to this, you know, so that is, a, a, as you say already, it's a circus. Are we going to see more of this? Is it if it is a success, both here in the UK and stateside?
1: Mike Tyson's a student of the game. He knows not to take on the best heavyweight on the planet, Tyson Fury. He knows which guys to pick. And hopefully, if he does feel a million dollars, feed him the YouTubers. Go on, each of you make 10 million a fight, watch Mike Tyson knock out idiots. That's fine by me, but he knows. I think in his heart of hearts, he knows. He used to spend hours in Customato's film room studying the likes of Johnson and Willard and Dempsey and Ali and Frazier. He knows what it takes to be an elite heavyweight and he knows he's not got it anymore.
0: I certainly...
1: He will... I think if he feels a million dollars, he might continue to do exhibitions, maybe against Holyfield, maybe against somebody who isn't really his calibre. But I hope if it is going to continue, it continues in that way and he doesn't call out the top echelon of heavyweights. I
0: absolutely second that with everything I have. You know, I really, really do hope so. But you and we have... The great British heavyweight prospects. We have some of the greatest heavyweights and middleweights and multiweight world champions all taking place this weekend. You know, whether you love it, whether you hate it, boxing is on the tip of everyone's tongues for all the right reasons, all the wrong reasons, and everything in between. It's been a great podcast of what we've done to fight justice. We've got plenty more preview content to come from Team Simbox, as always. We're looking forward to that. You and it's been a pleasure. Thank you again, and we'll speak next week.